The last couple of Wednesday nights, I have been doing this series about can he ask you just a simple question that I put together, and I talked about um, different ones in the Christmas story. We, we looked at the shepherds. We looked at the Magi. We looked at Joseph and Mary and different ones like that. And, and so the question again, he asked some of those people to do hard things. He asked Mary and Joseph. That, that was hard. I mean, we just gloss over the story like it's no big deal. But that was a hard thing to do, um, what he had asked them to do, and then all the things that came with it. Even the shepherds, can he, they dropped everything, went and spread the word. He knew who to ask. The Magi, possibly a two-year trip that they took all the way around by the time they left and maybe got back. We don't know exactly the time frame, but possibly two years. And so what I'm going to do here tonight is I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Jesus and, and some things after his birth. And then I want to pick up a particular character that we will talk about here um, the remainder of this, this night. And we just want to point some things out uh, concerning Jesus. We, again, we kind of left this last week where Jesus uh, was in a house in, in, uh, and the wise men came, the magi, they came and presented, and then he fled to Egypt, and that's kind of where we ended the story um, last week. So let's pick up here, and, and you will get your Bible reading in tonight, I promise you. And so Matthew 2, let's look at verse 19 and go from there. But when Herod was dead... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. This is the third time an angel had appeared in a dream to Joseph, and he was in Egypt. Verse 20, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And Joseph arose and took the young child and, and Mary and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that, did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus left one night. They fled to Egypt. Some think they lived there possibly two, three, four years. Uh, an angel, again, spoke to Joseph in that dream, and he returns. So the time frame, and, and again, we're gonna, it doesn't really matter. We'll just use loose things here. The time frame would be that Jesus was maybe five years old at this time. And now when he returns and the family returns to Nazareth, the Bible goes silent on Jesus until he's 12 years old. Luke 2, 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's about all we have from that. And now verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12, Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, they left, and as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother didn't know this. They were with a family group. They went to the Passover, and they left town 
And Jesus was left behind. Have you ever been left behind somewhere? We have a big family, so we have left kids behind at times. Mom and dad have, so accidentally. Well, Jesus came from a big family. We'll look at that in just a moment. He had four brothers and at least two sisters, so seven kids and then all this entourage. So it's possible he was left, I mean, it was, he was left unbeknownst to them. 44, but they supposing him to have been in the company, they just figured he was with somebody, went a day's journey, and they sought him among the kinsfolk and the acquaintances. Anybody seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus looking around? And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. It came to pass after three days. They lost Jesus for a long time concerning when it was a child being lost. They found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We were a nervous wreck. We were upset. We were, we, were, we were in anguish over this. And he's looked at them and said, Why in the world did you seek me? How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Fifty. And they, his parents, didn't even understand what he spoke about. Fifty-one. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. So we have him in Nazareth at 5, the Bible's silent, until 12. That little excerpt, and then they go back home. And the Bible goes silent until he's 30 years old. This is the only verse we have that gives any type of description or information about Jesus. Luke 2.52 and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's what we had from 12 to 30. I, I'm going to be careful here, but I want to walk down this just a little bit. I don't really have exact verses from the Word of God uh, for some of this, but, but allow me to draw some historical and some biblical data, and let's make some I think we could make some pretty educated guesses of Jesus' life and maybe some things that happened in his life from ages 12 to 30. Uh, again, you're going to have to, and I don't know how to do this, but tell you, you're going to have to follow and think hard because I've got to jump ahead and then jump back is what I've got to keep doing to be able to get the information because, again, the Bible's silent in all these years. But Matthew 13, 55 says, Talking about Jesus, is not this the carpenter's son? Or in other words, is this not Joseph's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So we understand from these verses and a couple others that, Ju that Joseph, his earthly father, was a carpenter. So I think we could probably assume without too much of a stretch to think that Jesus worked alongside Joseph. If he were a farmer, he'd work alongside him. He worked alongside Joseph, helped Joseph get some wood, maybe deliver some furniture, build a house, whatever line of carpentry that Joseph was in, Jesus probably helped do that. So possibly in those 12 to 30 years, he was working. He learned the trade. He knew what to do. He, he was helping his dad. Another thing we can know is from Mark 6, 3, and I'm sorry if I don't have all these in here. Is not this the carpentry? 
carpenter's son, the, the, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, of Judah and Simon, and not his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. So again, Jesus had at least four brothers, two sisters, so there were seven kids in this family, and Jesus was the oldest, so it would be very likely he would help with his younger siblings. So what did Jesus do in, that, in those years that he was that 12 to 30? He was probably helping his dad, with the, the, his earthly father Joseph, with the, with the family business. And he was also probably helping with his younger siblings. There was a lot of them to help with. So let's look again about this in Jesus' ministry. And let's look at Mark 3, verses 20 and 21. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread, 21. And when his friends, Jesus' friends, heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him. They went out to get him and to bring him home, for they said, he's beside himself. He's, I don't know what's gone wrong with him. So if his friends thought that of him, I'm curious what his siblings thought of him. Because later on in that chapter, I wonder if the friends went home and told them, said, you're going to have to come get Jesus. I mean, he's out here. The scribes are saying he has a devil in him. And, and he's saying all kinds of these wild teachings out here. And so maybe they went home and told the, because we have just a few verses later in Mark 3.31, then came, there came his, then his brethren and his mother and standing without sent unto him calling him. So again, this is all in this time frame where the friends were hearing him. The friends were like, we got to get this guy out of here. Something's not right here. They went home and possibly told, the, told his family they came and tried to get him out of this. I don't know what his family thought of him in these 12 to 30-year-old. I'm not sure all of that, but notice in this verse it says his brothers and his mother came. There's no mention of Joseph here. Also, when Jesus was on the cross, Mary, his mother, was there, but there was no mention of Joseph. Jesus specifically told John to take care of his mom. Let's look at that, John 19, 26. It says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, woman, behold thy son, then he said unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her home into his own house. So Joseph was not around. Joseph was out of the picture. I think it would be pretty safe to say that he lost his earthly father here on earth. He, his, his, so he knew that of grief. He knew that of, of losing someone close to you. Again, that would have happened in that 18 to 30. And since Jesus was the oldest, we don't know when Joseph died, but maybe that put tremendous amount of responsibility on Jesus. You need to provide for this family. You used to work with Joseph, your other brothers. You need to, you, you kind of need to lead this little family company here and keep us afloat. Maybe that pressure came on Jesus. The grief, yes, of losing, but also the pressure of taking care and, and filling that void in and provide for that family. And let's look at Jesus where he's from. He's from Nazareth. Let's, let's look at that. It would seem this town did not have a 
I don't know, a very good reputation, or at least people didn't think much of it, because if you go to John 1, 46, again, we're moving ahead in his ministry, and then we'll come back. But, and Nathaniel said unto him, he asked this question, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, well, come and see, when he was going to introduce him to Jesus. Scholars say that Nazareth was just this little bitty out-of-the-way town, maybe 500 people made up this whole town. And, and so I, I, you, where you came from, and, and, and maybe you're from the city, but, but think of some remote little town out in the middle, and I'm from Illinois, so out in the middle of one of our cornfields. This little town of 500 people. My, my grandma lived in a town, Ullman, Illinois, that had 200, so I'll use that one. It me ask, if we found out the Messiah came from Ulm, no, folks. I would have the same question as a thing. Couldn't any good thing? Grandma was there. That's a good thing, but can any good thing come out of that? We don't expect that, this little bitty town. This was a poor little out-of-the-way town. It was so obscure that Nathaniel was, was confused because in his mind, there's no way something of any significance would come from that area. Based on just the time it was and the culture then, Jesus probably spent a lot of hours maybe because it was just a little town, maybe studying the Scriptures and learning the Scriptures no matter where he went and who it was, people were amazed by his wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures. So again, that's maybe what he did while he was there from 12 to 30 where the Bible's silent. He lost his dad. He, he helped in the family business, though. He, he provided for his family. He, he learned scriptures. He, he did all of these things. And so if I go down that path a minute, a minute when someone was an apprentice to a rabbi, those people did not really freely interpret Scripture. They simply taught what they were taught is how that worked. They repeated kind of what the rabbi had taught them, and it kept perpetuating that. And so Jesus, on the other hand, he was always interpreting Scripture in new and unique ways. He was always challenging the common interpretations of the Jewish law. That's pretty much what got him in trouble most of the time. Because he would say certain things, and they didn't like that. Let's look at Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Remember, the, the scribes taught by authority. They had been put in positions and they had authority from other, and, and, and given this authority from others. Jesus taught with authority. I'm sure he had studied and, and know the scriptures well, but there was something else about him. He had authority. Sometimes I, I think of his teachings where he would say, Ye have heard, but I say unto you. That's with authority. You may have heard all this, but I say unto you, it's about to change. I say unto you, that's teaching with authority. Those are just some thoughts of what Jesus was possibly doing through all of that time. But I want to point out one more thing and then look at this person's life. 
Remember when the angel had spoken to Mary and she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. She, Elizabeth was a much older lady and who was also at that time expecting a child. This child we know would be born. His name would be John and we would know him as John the Baptist. Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins and they were about six months apart in age. So John was preaching out in the wilderness and this would be a, just a remote area by the Jordan River. And let me, let me read some verses here. I don't want to pull this too hard, but John 1, 28 and 29 says, These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Sometime later, after Jesus was baptized, we can skip down to verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. I don't know, and I don't want to pull this too hard, but some would suggest from these verses here, these two accounts, that Jesus may have also spent some time alongside his cousin John. Because these two occasions I read where Jesus was there and John said, it said that Jesus was passing by or Jesus was there. This was a long way, first of all, from Jesus' hometown and it was really out in the wilderness. You just did not pass by this area. It was, you went to this area. It was an area where John was. And so it would seem possibly, I don't know, but possibly in that 12 to 30 years, Sometimes, in some ways, he hung out with his cousin, John. The only thing we do read from Scripture is at the end of when Jesus went back home with Joseph and Mary is that Jesus increased in knowledge and stature with favor with God and man. And then it's silent. And then the next thing we hear is right here in John 1 where Jesus comes to his cousin, John, and is baptized. Which brings me to the other character of Jesus' life I want to look at for just, just, just a little bit here. John the Baptist. Apart from Jesus, John the Baptist is probably the most theologically significant figure in the Gospels. Think of this. Just like Jesus, John's birth was meticulously recorded in the forever settled Word of God. In Luke 1. Even like that of Jesus, John's birth was announced by an angel. It was a miraculous birth. John's birth happened because of divine intervention, the same Jesus' birth. John is not someone we could just gloss over. He is a pivotal figure in history and the story of Jesus coming to earth. But again, Someone like Jesus, we, we don't really know much about his growing up years. Scripture tells us something even similar to that of Jesus in Luke 180. Talking about John, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. John lived in the wilderness until the day he started ministering in Israel. We can maybe assume again, carefully, a few things about him. Since his parents were old when he was born, 
Maybe he, his parents had already died. and He was rather young when his parents died. So he would have been on his own for quite some time. But when John began his public ministry, his voice ended 400 years of prophetic silence. John was the voice crying in the wilderness. The voice telling everyone to prepare the way for the Messiah. Isaiah 40 verse 3 even prophesied of it. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, many, many years before, as he was moved on by the Holy Ghost, he wrote the prophecy. That prophecy was specifically about John, not about a group of people, not about a nation, not about anything. It was specifically about a man named John because Matthew 3, 3 says, for this is he that was spoken of. This guy is the one that was prophesied about by Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Folks, there's a lot of verses in Scripture that say things like, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's a blanket statement to all those who receive the Holy Ghost. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people. Peculiar, that's, that's a broad for it. You're a part of the church of the living God. We fall under that. So yes, that's talking to me and that's talking to you and that's, that's telling us about the church. But, I, you know, there's no prophecies anywhere in the word of God that says, behold, there cometh one who will speak at the sanctuary and tell you about the coming of the Lord. There's not a prophecy like that because I ain't all that in a bag of chips. John was. There was a prophecy that almost did everything but name his name. That's a powerful man. So when we look at John that was specifically pointed out in the Old Testament, confirmed in the New Testament, again, no small thing. What a phenomenal, important Folks, I don't know what I would do. I want you to run this through your brain here for a little bit. If in the scripture was a prophecy about me specifically. John knew that. He had, they had the Old Testament. They had those. But what would John possibly think? Could entitlement slip in? <laughs> What, what, did, what, what did Elizabeth say? Your kid's a straight-A student. My kid was prophesied about. I mean, what, in, what would this do to your thinking if you knew you were that person that was going to tell everybody to repent and make straight because the Messiah is following right behind me? You were that person. He was a guy, folks. I don't know what would be in his head and what could possibly go through his mind. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. John's message and ministry marked the culmination of the laws and the prophets. Now John was preaching the kingdom of God. This man was a transitional figure in this story. He's bringing from the bridge in the Old Testament and the New Testament together. What he preached was powerful. 
it, but it was pretty simple. I think, and I'm going to, you know, obviously tongue-in-cheek here, but this was his text. Every time he got in a pulpit to preach, it was Matthew 3, 2 was his text, and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he preached. That was his simple message over and over and over and over again. We, we call him John the Baptist because his practice was to baptize all those people who responded to this simple little message, and there were a whole lot of them that did. Those people who realized they were in sin, and they repented, and John baptized them. He was a wild man. He, he didn't pull any punches with anybody. He would preach judgment, that judgment was coming. God is going to come, and God is going to clean house. Listen to some of these verses, Luke 3, 9. And now also the axes laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is shewn down and cast in the fire. Verse 17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chap, he will burn up with fire unquenchable. He was telling these people, you better repent. The ax is at the root. He has got his fan in his hand. He is getting ready to part ways with people, and he's going to separate those who... Uh, who is in sin, God's wrath is coming on your sinfulness. They were convicted because of this simple message. They started asking, how can we do something different? How should we change our lives and start living differently because of this? And he had an answer for that. Let's read some of those in Luke 3, verse 10. It says, and the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? I've heard that question before, but this was before the day of Pentecost. He answered and said unto them, If you got two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. And came also publicans to be baptized and said, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. Stop stealing from people. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. I mean, this guy, you ask him a question, he's going to give you the answer. <laughs> he didn't pull punches. He didn't care who you were. This guy's fascinating. Let, let's look at Matthew 3. Start at verse 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Two things we can assume. Mom and dad, yes, had passed on, and he was not married. That's all we can assume from these verses. But let me throw this in, 2 Kings 1.8. And they answered him, because the king was asking, who was the guy you saw? He said he was a hairy man, or some would interpret that as he wore a garment made of hair, and he girt with a girdle of leather about his loins, and he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Does not that sound? He dressed just like Elijah. I don't know if he did this on purpose or if God told him to. I don't know why. He looked, he acted, he dressed just like Elijah. Let's go back to Matthew 3 and now verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem. These people came out of the city into the wilderness and all Judea and all the regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, ladies and gentlemen, this is UGST coming out to get baptized. 
Okay, this is, this is headquarters coming. This is what he, oh, generation of vipers. Y'all go ahead and say that all you want. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within your, well, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that, our, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Oh, we're fifth generation Pentecost. John said, I don't give a rip. I don't care who you think you are, what you think you are, what you drive and where you live. You better repent. Wow. That's not how to build a church, but he built a big church. People came to him out of the places. Let me jump ahead again for a moment. But even King Herod, John didn't hesitate to expose his immorality and sin. He held true to his message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whoever you are, repent. Whatever sin you've been involved in, repent. When the angel talked to Zacharias, John's dad, and he told him about, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child, and this is going to be some of the things. Let's look at this. Again, I've got to jump back now. Luke 117. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He dressed like Elijah had the spirit of Elijah, so much so that in John 1, 21, not sure I gave that to you, and they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? thought Elijah was raised from the dead. And he said, I'm not. Aren't you a prophet then? No, I'm not a prophet. But notice this. Let's, let's go down, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to jump here. I hope you're following me, but what Jesus said about John, Matthew 11, 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Then talking about the kingdom, notwithstanding he that is at least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But this is Jesus' words about John. John, this unbelievable man of God, yet submitted to his call, humble to his, to his role, he fully accepted, I'm not the Christ. Now, in earthly terms, Jesus was his cousin that's six months younger than him, but he readily promoted Jesus. It's not me. Look at him. This isn't mine. Look at him. There's one coming after me. John 3, 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I told you all this. I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John, you were prophesied about. John, you grew up with Jesus. John, people were coming out of the woodwork to hear you preach. You were baptizing people. He stated at different times 
But Jesus is greater. He had a more powerful ministry and baptism. We, we can find Luke 3, 16 says, John answers saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. That's true. But one mightier than I cometh. I'm not even, I can't even in our leg, I, I'm not even to, to, to shine his shoes, to tie his shoelaces. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Back where this all started. When Jesus came to John to be baptized, John didn't want to do it. I'm not worthy. I, I'm not baptizing you. I know who you are. I know you're my cousin, but no, I know who you are. He didn't feel worthy. Again, I, 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 I spend some time here. I hope you understand something very clearly in your minds. What a big deal John was. He was... I mean, again, specifically was prophesied about. His birth was miraculously proclaimed by an angel. His birth was meticulously recorded in the forever settled word of God. He preached powerfully. His fame spread so quickly and everywhere. He did not even go seeking people. The Bible said they came out of Jerusalem. They came out of the cities to this faraway place in the wilderness to seek him, to listen to him. And many people repented. He baptized many people. He was so influential that quite a bit later, Again, jumping ahead, watch this. Acts 18, 24, and 25. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. This guy was from another era. This guy was a high up official. This guy was an eloquent man. He only knew about the baptism of John. It had reached to every area. Let me read also Acts 19, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So then he got thinking about this, and Paul said, well, then unto one, then what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. There were people, again, Later down the road, far away places that were back there. John's disciples were everywhere. I won't read the rest of that, but so many things happened and they were rebaptized, and you know the story. So let me let me again push this hard. John was extremely well known. He was a powerful preacher. He had great, can we say, success. I mean, people would come to him and people would be baptized by him. He had a massive following. I, maybe I step out too far, but in our words, I think what we would say, he would have had a mega church with many satellite campuses. He was that big of a person. This is why when I read this, John 1, 35 to 39, Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. Two of John's disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? 
He said unto him, Rabbi, which is to be interpreted, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He said, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, John, you can't just keep promoting Jesus and pointing everyone to Jesus and keep growing your church that way. All this popularity and success and growth and things are going so well for you. But John kept saying, it ain't me, it's him. It's not about me, it's him. Mightier than me, follow him, follow him. Do you remember back when I said John was bold and didn't care who the person was? He'd call him out. We look at Matthew 11. Let's look at verse 1 here and start there. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples around him. One of those was not John the Baptist. He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. He went to all the churches. We're making 2023 here. He went to all of those disciples' churches in their cities, and Jesus preached in their pulpits. And when John had heard in the prison, John's in prison because he told he did the right thing, called out Herod. John sent two of his disciples and Got a little discouraged and said, are, can you ask him? Just ask Jesus again. Are, are you he that should come or do we look for somebody else? Jesus answered and said unto him, go and show John again these things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Six, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be Offended in me. John's in prison for doing right, preaching right, being submitted, being humble, being bold, doing his job, making straight, repent, the Messiah is coming, pointing everyone to Jesus. And his payoff, he's in prison. John's hearing about great revival. John laid all the groundwork for that. John's hearing about miracles, signs, and wonders. John prayed for that and believed for that, and John's in prison. John's disciples left. Jesus gives this account. I won't take time to read it, but he gives all kinds of accolades to John of how what a powerful prophet he was, and nobody was like John. He was just a powerful man, and just there's nobody could even compete and compare to John. John didn't hear any of that. Jesus told that after his disciples were already gone to see him. John's in prison. Jesus, a miracle worker. Jesus, a deliverer. Jesus has all power in heaven and earth. Jesus could have very easily got John out of prison. And Jesus does not. John's on death row. 
John doesn't get out. John's killed. While the revival he worked so hard to establish is growing. By leaps and bounds. Can he ask you? Do all the legwork. Do all the hard part. Wear your body and just dump your finances into starting that church. And hear all the good reports from your hospital bed. But you don't get healed. And then you die before you see very little of the huge outpouring on the day of Pentecost and the massive revival that would come and everyone's attention will be completely off you and all the accolades go to someone else. Is that okay? What can God ask you to do? Maybe it's not to buy that big of a house so you can give more to missions. Maybe it's not to take all those extra overtime so that you can do Again, I'm just being practical. I have nobody in mind, obviously. But I'm simply asking at the end of this year, when it comes to 2024, what can God ask you to do? He asked Mary, be ridiculed, be misunderstood, be ostracized, be made fun of, but she brought the Messiah. John, you're going to do all the legwork, you're going to do all this stuff, you're going to die in prison, but he made straight and he ushered in the Messiah. Is it worth it? Oh, I'm going to say it's worth it, but John never got to see any of that. Is that okay? What can he ask you to do? Can we stand in this place? And you have to answer that yourself. Just between you and God. What can he ask you to do that you'll say yes? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your power, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, most of all that we are called out of darkness into this marvelous light and the privilege to work right with you. I pray, oh God, that you would touch our hearts. I pray, oh Jesus, that you would help us. Lord, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, nothing wrong with having good jobs and nice houses, whatever those things may be. But, Lord, let nothing ever get in our place between you and us, God. Let us be willing to humble ourselves and to say, not my will, but thine be done. Let us be willing to say, I must decrease and he must increase. Whatever that looks like in our individual lives, help us to hear your voice. Help us to do your work, to do your will. I know it's all going to be worth it because this life is such just a vapor, Lord, but only what we do for Christ will last. I pray that you bless each one. Keep us in your care. Bless all the family that's out traveling, Lord. I pray that you protect, give all of us traveling mercies over this holiday season. Keep us close to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.